0: Haymaker Coffee Company was established in 2021 to create the best coffee to fuel the underdogs who perseveres, who hustles, and have the give-it-all mentality to achieve their American dream. Haymaker Coffee, only roast top quality, specialty-grade coffee beans resulting in brews that satisfies those who demand every drop from their coffee and day. If you work hard, run hard, fight hard, and play hard, we have your coffee right here. And we're back, Stripe Show podcast, on a Tuesday. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. Coming up here momentarily, we are bringing back one of the top lawyers in all of the United States, has a lot of experience when it comes to these lawsuits with major sports organizations. Peter Gidsberg will be joining us from New York City. And I have a number of questions for him on where we stand with the PGA Tour LIV players lawsuit, the antitrust lawsuit, as well as uh, some insight uh, to Patrick Reed and the uh, defamation lawsuit that he issued against the Golf Channel and Brandel Chamblee. We'll get to that here momentarily. Hope you had a great Labor Day extended weekend. I took a couple days off, no podcasts yesterday, of course. Nice lineup this week. Peter joining us today and uh, working on a, a tour player for tomorrow as the United States will be launching their President's Cup captain's picks. And I'm um, getting some insight here, a little shakeup at the bottom. So we're working on that. And then, of course, we'll do some instruction on Thursday. Good feedback from last week on the five common patterns that I see with mid-handicaps. Hopefully that helps some people out. One thing to note, I'll be teaching a lot here in the new studio. Thank you for the uh, comments on the new studio. It's turned out great. And I'll be teaching a lot this fall and winter. So perhaps some of you out of town, maybe looking to come on down and get a little instruction for a day or two, work on the full swing, some short games, some putting. I'll be here. I'm available. Reach out to me. Travis at TravisFultonGolf.com, And we can, we can work one-on-one with your game in the off season that uh that we all have right we have uh, we have an off season i'm not sure the pga tour has an off season although we are in it right now there's two weeks the the fortinet championship will fire back up an all new season on the pga tour starts next week get excited folks and then the president's cup will be in there and i'm going to be heading out to the shriners out in vegas and uh doing our next round of the show called The Cut, which I'm excited about. That airs on Tuesdays on Golf Channel. Before we bring Peter in, uh, so much, of course, happening in professional golf. Big tournament uh, this week on the DP World Tour, the BMW uh, PGA Championship, which is a big one for the DP World Tour. And, of course, the field is terrific, but much of the conversation is the 18 LIV players that are heading over there to play in this event as the DP World Tour is positioned a little bit differently than the PGA Tour in that these players can continue to play in these DP World Tour events as their legal battle shakes out. And then of course over here in the States, the PGA Tour, that legal battle, these players are suspended and they're not able to play in these events until that legal battle works itself out. So a little bit different um Positioning here uh, as the DP world tour has been in the way that it's structured versus the PGA tour from a legality standpoint, these players are able to go over there and play, but not on the PGA tour. So another wrinkle, very interesting. And um, it'll be interesting to say the least how, um, you know, these uh, greetings will be had. I'm sure some tension in the air, Billy Horschel and his press conference over there, Made this statement, quote, I don't think these guys really should be here. The Abraham Answers, the Taylor Gooches, the Jason Kokraks. you've never played this tournament. You never supported the DP World Tour. Why are you here? And I'm sure there's a lot of players, members of the DP World Tour, members of the PGA Tour that feel the exact same way. There's going to be a lot of tension in the air. I'm sure there's going to be some words exchanged. But the reason that they're there, of course, is for world, world Golf Ranking Points. LIV is not in a position right now uh, to stand alone. They don't, they're not eligible for World, rock, world Golf Ranking Points. And, and that'll probably take a little bit of time to see how that transpires. And I have a question for Peter on that. As these big organizations get together and determine how they're going to issue World Golf Ranking Points or if they will to LIV and I'm sure LIV is going to be watching that closely to make sure fair treatment uh, is being put forth. That is a big topic in the future. And that's why these players are over here there because they don't get world golf ranking points for the LIV event that they just played in Boston. They're not going to get it for the next one that they play next week in Chicago. And then the one after that in Saudi Arabia. And then the one after that, uh, excuse me they go to bangkok first and then saudi arabia and then the finals back here in miami the liv is not in a position to stand alone right now yes these players have went there and they've they've received a lot of money but they need let's put it the assistance right now and the help of the pga tour and the dp world tour and these other tours for world golf ranking points now right now it's all kind of fun and dandy you know get your money Eh, the World Golf, World Golf Ranking Points don't mean much to some of these players, and I'm sure they don't, but others they do. And as they see their World Golf Ranking fall, uh, it's going to mean more to them, and they're pushing forward to, I guess, quote, unquote, have their cake and eat it too, as many have said. Eddie Pepper, <laughs> great follow on Twitter, <laughs> referring to Lee Westwood. Yeah, you can come over. You can have your cake and, well, eat it in the corner over there. They're not welcome. You know, they're, they're just not going to be welcomed out there. Um, as a lot of these players feel like, Hey, you wouldn't got your money. You're going to go play that. Now just stay over there and play that. So it's going to be fascinating to, to see how that transpires. Before I bring Peter in, I do want to say this. I, I watched the LIV event and I've been talking to a lot of people, a lot of my resources and, you know, of course, LIV front and center Saturday, Sunday, no PGA tour event tournament in Boston. I mean, the one thing that, one thing that you cannot say about LIV is that the golf is not good. That's just a false statement. The golf is good. It is good. Uh, Dustin Johnson, I don't care where he plays when he's playing like that. He's, he's must watch. He's one of the best players in the world. I've said it for, for a year and a half now on the podcast. If you follow me, peak Rory and peak DJ, when you have their attention, they are the top two players in the world. I believe that. They're better than John Rom, They're better than Scotty Scheffler, They're better than Justin Thomas. And Rory, of course, we've had his attention. He's been carrying the flag for the PGA Tour. He makes a great comeback and wins the Tour Championship. Fast forward next week, who wins that event? DJ. I think um, we have their interest. I think they're putting the time in. I think DJ's practice schedule has been the same. Now, we'll see all of this money if these players do get bored, especially if when they're not accumulating world golf ranking points, especially when they're not welcome on these other tours. And that's neither here that I don't, I mean, I, I'm not basing an opinion on whether they should be welcomed or not. I'm just saying that these players on the PGA tour on the DP world tour with these players coming back, they're, they're just the, the majority of them. They don't want them there. Rory doesn't want them there. And that's going to weigh on some people. So it'll be interesting to see if DJ, if Brooks, if Bryson can kind of sustain this level of interest and keep their game sharp as we kind of let this thing roll out. The newness is going to wear off. The honeymoon stage is going to wear off. So what's going to happen from there? It is interesting. The one thing that I really thought about when I'm watching this event, I want to share a few thoughts here on the LIV event. PXG has done it again with the launch of a new lineup of drivers, fairways, hybrids, and irons. The new Gen 5 golf clubs deliver significantly increased MOI, faster ball speeds, longer distances, and tighter dispersions, all coupled with the exceptional feel and sound golfers have come to expect from PXG. Schedule your custom fitting or buy online at pxg.com it's funny, like a lot of people on social media, um, on my accounts, like they've come back at me pretty hard and I've made it known that I don't think LIV is the best in the end for professional golf. Like if the PGA tour went away and the LIV is the source for professional golf, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the best direction for the game. That's just my opinion. And I've stated my reasons why. With that said, I'm not a hater of LIV golf. I'm not a hater that another business has come in and has probably attacked some weaknesses in professional golf and have come up with some, some new ideas and ways to attract perhaps to a younger demographic. I think that's interesting. And I think it, it you have to look at that, especially for someone like myself who covers the game. You have to be able to, you got to be able to, to entertain that and, and, and listen and listen. Indulge yourself to some degree of what's happening here and be open-minded about it. So I've done that with LIV and I watched this weekend. The golf is good. It was a great finish. It's difficult to follow to the end with the shotgun start. I'm fine with the shotgun start. Do your thing. It's different. Okay. Everybody starts at the same time. It's interesting. I don't think it's the best way in running a professional golf tournament or way the course is laid out to be played but it's interesting. It's new. It's different. They're all out there at the same time. The window to watch is more condensed, right? I think there's upside to that. I can watch golf between this four and five hour window versus all day long. They tee off at eight or they tee off at six 50 in the morning, first tee time all the way up to two 30 in the afternoon. And they're playing all the way till dark. That's a big period of time. So I get that, but coming down the stretch and figuring out, okay, DJ and Neiman are finishing on 18 cam Smith's one ahead of them. He's still got to play number one, which is the, one of the most difficult holes in the golf course. While 18 is one of the easiest holes in the golf course, Lee Westwood's ahead of them. He's got to play the par three second. And then the easy par four third, I, I think that's what it was. So, it, you know, that was, that was a little chaotic and confusing and, and I knew a couple of people that were on the grounds and they were on the 18th. And look, they had a good time. It was fun. I think the energy, yes, of the crowd around 18, um, there, was some, there was some good energy there. DJ looks relaxed. DJ's probably said more in his press conferences afterwards than he has in the last 12 years. So you can't ignore that, right? You can see the younger demographic. You can see live leading more with the social aspect of it. You can see Liv perhaps trying to target, yes, that younger generation. I think a lot of those things um, are going to turn off the older generation. And then there's going to be a lot of middle-aged men and women like me that are kind of, okay, I can kind of see both sides of it, right? And that's kind of where I am. I feel like I can kind of see both sides. I like a lot of the things with the PGA Tour. There's a lot of things I don't like about it. Um, is a 46-week-per-year schedule starting next week with the Fortnite Championship, only two weeks off. It's just, it's exhausting. As I've said many times, it's watered down all these tournaments. You can feel a little stuffy at times. Go over to this side, and all right, this, the schedule is more condensed. Um, there's It's only three days. You know, there's definitely that the the what is it their motto of golf, but louder. Yeah, I can sense all those things. And I will say this: I, I do think live social media has gotten really good. I think they're they've really gotten much better in conveying their message to their audience too. I, I think they've stepped it up there. Now, there's some things that come across, and you look at it, it's like, what's this guy doing on stilts? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like walking around. Uh, the the 18th green and stilt I mean, like, what is he making like um, animals out of a balloon? I mean, I mean, I like guess not a carnival. You know, like this isn't a carnival. Like, I, I think they're they're finding that line, perhaps, of okay, that's a little too far. The magic tricks and things like that versus this is a golf tournament. And and yes, we can lead with the social aspect, and it can be fun, and it can be a little more of a tailgate kind of experience without maybe some of the other nonsense that comes with it. That's just me. But I will say this, the golf was great. I could feel the energy coming out. Weird though, in the finish, that's going to be a problem for them. They're going to have to look at that. It's weird to me with that finish coming down and how the holes play out. And it's just anticlimactic. Like there was some, they were standing there on the 18th and, and they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was going on. Okay. So did, did Cam win? Did Lee win? Oh, it's a playoff. Okay. Okay. You know, Dustin Johnson's coming up at the same time. <sighs> so that, that was, you know, that was a little clunky. And the other thing that I, I didn't like was, and this, I think, is where Liv has to, has to get better with this in, in the constant comparison to the PGA Tour. You're clearly not trying to be the PGA Tour. You're trying to track those players over and pay them a lot of money to be over there. And I, and, all right. Um, but you're not trying, you're not trying to be the PGA tour per se. So with that said, I hate the constant comparison to the PGA tour, the indirect jabs to the PGA tour. And it was just exhausting and cringeworthy when the, the regulation ended in that time before the playoffs started. The announcers, you know, making the point of, of live and that this is, this is fun out there in comparison to, right? They're playing for a lot of money here in comparison to, you know, there's just constant, um, like I'm being, uh, they're just shoving it down my throat. This is the live experience. And here's why it's so great. Just wish like they'd let it breathe a little bit more you know just let it be like you know who you are and then just go do it and just let it breathe and you're not trying to be the PGA tour even though you still need the PGA tour right now even though you still need the DP World Tour right now for the world golf ranking points but you, you just let the tournament happen and just let the audience come to their own conclusions on on what they're watching and i think as the audience comes to their conclusions that younger demographic and the way that you're presenting your product is they're going to, yeah, a lot of them are going to push that way. You're not going to get some of them because of just where the money's coming from and their alliance to the PGA tour and this and that. And you're probably going to get less percent of those in the older demographics because of those reasons and beyond as well. So just let it live. (laughs) There you go. Just let it live and let it be. And I do think you got to change there's got to be something there in that finish, the final day. There has to be when you have it all coming to the end here, so people can understand on the grounds what's happening. I think on the phone you were able to kind of navigate it a little bit easier, um, but it feels a little bit different. But look, man i I've told you from day one, I'm going to be open minded about this. I'm going to watch live golf. I did. I love DJ. Love him. I'm going to watch him. Anywhere that he plays, you know, the other thing that hit me and then we'll bring in Peter. The other thing that hit me was how insignificant at this point, Brooks Koepka and and Bryson DeChambeau have become out of sight, out of mind. The one thing that you can't undervalue or estimate is the marketing engine of the PGA Tour, of the Golf Channel, of these other contingencies that, that really support the tour and push it out. And I think you're seeing that right now. Like I haven't really thought about Bryson and Brooks in a long time. In fact, I, I just started thinking about them on Sunday when I saw their name popped up and it was Chase Kepkin, not Brooks. Now, they're not playing great gops. I think Brooks is still injured a little bit. I'm not sure about Bryson. I know he has a lot of other things going on in his social media. But like, where is the interest level with those guys? Because it was just, what, a year ago? When you couldn't open, you couldn't look at your phone or turn the TV on. And it was the next piece of the saga that was Brooks and Bryson, the PIP program. They're everywhere. Where are they now? So anyway, that's that. As things continue to evolve uh, in the world of professional golf, look, I'm watching it. I'm covering it. I'm just telling you how I see it. And look, I, look, I live with, there's some good things happening over there. There's no question. They've got some momentum. There's some good things happening over there. And you know what? They should have some good things because they have an endless budget. And when you have that kind of money and joining me well, now, you better be getting some cam Smiths of the world round two Mr. to come Peter over In- to play. How are and play. And they sir? have, good try How are you doing? and I think with I, DJ winning well. and cam uh, right I, I there and walking Neiman right there, significant names and players. Podcast that was It really was a while back before the lawsuits uh, in professional golf golf, started to um, Dustin Johnson. All right. Now for let's let's bring in everyone could certainly anticipate that's where it was going uh, between the PGA tour and the the LIV golfers. And since we've, we've had some lawsuits and some things happening, so I thought it would be fun to have you back and, and to get your thoughts on just kind of where things are at and perhaps um, where things are going. Uh, Let me ask you this here. My first question for you, as you've, as you've watched the uh, antitrust lawsuit play out uh, between the PGA Tour, the LIV golfers, uh, you know what are what are some things, maybe moments that you've you've found to this point the, the most interesting?
1: Well, I don't think it was a surprise that the injunctive relief was denied. And, um, it was very difficult for the LIV players to show that they were ultimately going to be harmed. By not being able to play, it was a matter of money as far as they were concerned. And they can always be compensated. I think what's particularly interesting recently is that a group of the Liv players dropped out of the lawsuit. There hasn't been any explanation as to why. Mm-hmm. And then, right on the heels of that, Liv joined as a plaintiff which was another interesting development, both because we hadn't joined to begin with and because we've joined in the wake of the players dropping out of the lawsuit.
0: Now, when, when a player drops out, and this might be a silly question, because there were nine players in all, and now you've got players dropping out. Does that hurt the case? help the case or has no effect on the case one way or the other when a player or two starts to drop out?
1: It's unusual, frankly. Um, It'll be interesting to see if the PGA takes the depositions of the former plaintiffs and puts Mm. them under oath to explain why they dropped out. Mm. It may be irrelevant, but it could be quite relevant. Um, It could be that They felt that they had been deceived by LIV. It could be that they thought they had been deceived by their agents as to the consequences of joining the lawsuit. It may simply be that LIV wasn't run the way they wanted LIV to be run, or that the Mm -hmm. PGA, for some number of reasons, was a better place to be. And they were hoping to mend fences by dropping out of the lawsuit. So it's really hard to tell, but it's an interesting development. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Just like Liv, Mm -hmm. it's curious Liv didn't join the lawsuit in the beginning. There must've been some strategy behind that. Mm. Uh, Maybe they wanted, it wanted the attention to be solely on the fighters maybe Liv didn't wanna defend its own practices as a party. And it's curious as to the timing. did Liv join the lawsuit to sort of make up for the PR hit of the other players dropping out? Or did Liv come to the realization that maybe if the players didn't have a strong case because they weren't gonna be losing money maybe Liv thought that it had to stand up and say, well, we're going to be losing money
2: Mm.
1: as a result of the alleged anti-competitive activities. Mm.
0: One of the things that you mentioned in the first time we spoke before the lawsuit hit was you were interested in how the PGA tour would position itself against Liv. Right. Have you, did they position themselves accordingly as you would think, or is it, a little different than what you thought. I mean, can you can you give us your thoughts there?
1: My perception was that Monaghan panicked. That for the first time, maybe in the history of the PGA, the players as a group came together and used a newfound bargaining strength to try to get more money out of the PGA and try to get the PGA to sweeten the pot. Um, The idea that the PGA is there for the players and working for the players is sort of a silly notion to begin with. Mm. And what the PGA has done about giving more money, expanding the opportunities for players, is to show that maybe competition really does work. And it also shows, I think, and to a greater extent, the flaw in the PGA's sort of farcical um, line, that it works for the players. Mm-hmm. And who knows? I mean, maybe it'll convince some of the players that they do need a, a union or an association to bargain against the PGA because the PGA, you know, clearly has concerns. So I mean, that was an interesting development as well.
0: Yeah, those are good points. We've talked about that here in the podcast in that you hear it all the time, like the PGA tour, it's the players, right? Right. And people associate the PGA tour with the PGA. Those are two different organizations. The PGA of America is the golf professionals. Um, and then you have the PGA tour, which are the players, right? And And the players own the PGA tour. When you sue the PGA tour, you're suing us, the players, but yet Jay Monahan and his team runs the PGA tour. And really you never, I think up to this point, Peter got the sense that the players were in control of their tour. Right. right. And now you get that sense. They're saying, look, this is what we want to do. Now, Jay and your team go execute it. Is that stated accurately in the way in, that you're kind of, you're seeing this?
1: Yeah. In baby steps, baby steps, you know, and maybe that, you know, maybe it'll go someplace. Mm -hmm. historically golfers have not been a very um, active or political group in terms of joining together and uh, using their potential power as leverage you know I remember several years ago when we sued the PGA on behalf of Vijay Singh the PGA tour excuse me
0: you sued the PGA tour
1: Vijay Singh yeah yeah correct yeah um And there were players who said to DJ, both publicly and privately, hey, you're suing us. You're not suing the tour. You're taking money from us. It was a ridiculous notion. But that kind of um, slogan that Monaghan and the others use has been bought into by some of the players.
0: Mm -hmm. So... The antitrust lawsuit, it's its set to begin sometime, it, it appears, next year in September. We're, we're looking at a year from now. Um, nothing changes, right, until then at this point. I mean, as far as the suspensions that have been in place, like the way that it is right now, I mean, nothing can change until that plays out. Is that accurate?
1: That's most likely accurate. I mean, mm-hmm. any number of things could happen. Theoretically, but as far as the lawsuit's concerned, uh, I think September is the date for the summary judgment hearing. And the trial is actually scheduled for January 2024, I think.
2: So it's
0: even beyond, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's Things are
1: likely yeah. to happen. It's just hard to tell what's going to happen between now and then. Glenn
0: Fittich, the world's most awarded single malt scotch whiskey. Is expertly crafted and made with extraordinary care. Each single malt is a work of perfection. So this this suit that happened recently for the three players um, to play in the FedEx Cup, it was uh, it was Taylor Gouge, Hudson Swafford, and Matt Jones. They attempted to get a temporary restraining order so they could play in the, and of course they lost. PGA Tour won that, but that has really no bearing on this bigger
1: lawsuit, does it? Probably not. Um, What it may have done is shed uh, some light into some of the flaws in the legal strategy that Liv was following. Mm. Um, It probably enabled the PGA to some extent to understand what it was going to be defending against and how to fine-tune some of its defenses, it may have triggered the other players dropping out for the lawsuit. You know, it's hard to tell. Mm -hmm. And it may, as I said, triggered Liv's decision to join the lawsuit. Yeah.
0: One of the things we talked about in our first conversation was this idea of a monopoly and that the PGA tour would state that we were kind of just, you know, um, projecting on maybe it's positioning and with the, with the defense of, of the monopoly that the tour would say, look, the four major championships are ran by four different organizations. We don't run those. And I would have to think that's going to be part of it. Now, what's interesting is those four major championships, plus the PGA tour, plus the DP world tour, who has a strategic alliance with the PGA tour. um, There's seven organizations in all that make up this uh, organization or federation of how the official world golf ranking points work.
1: Right.
0: And now this uh, Peter is going to become a huge point of contention. I would have to think because where live can't pardon this, but live (laughs) on their own um, without official world golf ranking points. And they need at this point, the, the PGA tour, the DP world tour, 18 of their players, in fact, of live golf are going to play in the DP world tour this week. Right. And the reason they're there is because of FedEx cup or it not FedEx is because of official world golf ranking points. Right. Correct. So of course live has now went through the process of trying to get world golf ranking points. Well, the PGA tour and it's these other alliances are part of that that's a, this is that's this is going to be a fascinating development to see how it works. But I would have to think, Peter, that Live Golf is watching how these seven organizations are going to to work on whether or not to issue official world golf ranking points to them, right? Because this would have to be part of their stance in case to exist, right?
1: Oh, sure, and it's going to be important that. You know, my guess is they won't be issued the points, but it's going to be important that the seven organizations don't do anything that would support the conspiracy theory of the of the antitrust lawsuit. Um, now, look those those rankings are going to be an argument for Live. It's going to be an argument for the PGA. Liv is going to say it's inherently unfair to deprive Liv of the points. And the PGA Tour is going to say the reason we need order and um, stability in the tournaments is because the, the points are so important to the structure of the golf world. And that's exactly why we have membership, membership agreements and uh, limited waivers. We have to keep an orderly oversight process.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So, you know, the lawyers will argue both sides of that issue.
0: How do you think this is going to play out? Are you, (laughs) (laughs) you're probably not comfortable saying, I think that this is going to win. You know, there's just so much, like the one thing you said, um, and I've, I've watched our uh, podcast back a few times and it was very well received. It was people listened to it. They, 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 they loved it. And, and I knew they would because there's no way that I can speak to these terms (laughs) as you do um, from a legal standpoint. And that's where we're at. We're in the legal world um, in how this is going to shake out. So you try to educate yourself the best you can on, you know, what is the the stance that both of these, you know, parties are going to take. and there's so many layers to it. And, and in an antitrust, there's just so many layers to this that it would be hard right now, don't you think, to kind of determine who's gonna win one way or the other?
1: It's very difficult and it's very interesting. There are issues that are gonna come up in this case that don't don't really happen in most antitrust cases. Mm. As an example, most of the time a plaintiff live in this position, will say that the defendant is engaging in predatory pricing, meaning the defendant is lowering its prices to the point where we can't compete in order to keep us out of the market. This case has a little bit of the flip side. Liv isn't doing this for commercial reasons. Liv clearly doesn't care about the cost or the profit. Live is the one engaging or has the ability to engage in this kind of predatory price structure. That's quite unusual for an antitrust case. Another issue that could come up, and I've heard some suggestions about this, is that there apparently are at least some players who feel that this is partially a political issue. And Monaghan is clearly concerned about political tension if live players were going to be playing where PGA players are playing. Matter of fact, there was some edict about not wearing clothing with the live label mm-hmm. um, for that reason. What happens if PGA players wear free Kosoge hats? Remember Kosogi. Yep. And that will clearly create. Tension between the live players and the PGA players, and how does that play out in a First Amendment setting? Mm. Everyone should be able to say what he or she wants outside of the, you know, screaming fire in a crowded movie theater. And if PGA players want to have, remember Khashoggi hats, they should. And you know, in my my view, if live players are playing someplace and they want to drape themselves in a Saudi flag or wear a live, you know, emblem, they should they have a first amendment right to express their opinions, but if it becomes a political issue and if these tensions are exacerbated, how does that play out in terms of the PGA having a right to control the atmosphere in these tournaments? Mm. It's really fascinating.
0: Yeah. It is, and it's just going to boy, a period of time here—not <clears throat> September of next year, but January of 2024—and you know the, the likes of Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepka, you know Bryson Deschanel with some of these bigger names, Cam Smith that just went over—you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna see him on the PGA Tour at least until that plays out a couple years from now. What's interesting is that the DP World Tour they're not in the same position in the way that they're structured and they have to let these players play (laughs) in the world tour events until that legal matter shakes itself out one way or the other. So they're in completely different stratospheres as we wait for these legal lawsuits to, to pan out, which is just hard to, you know, kind of keep your mind wrapped around and then on top of that let me ask you this because I know you're a very busy man then you you top in now another lawsuit where Patrick Reed uh, who's part of the the live series um, has a defamation case for 750 million against the Golf Channel and in Brandall chambly um, many of Brandall's comments that were called into the lawsuit that I read occurred on this podcast uh, when Brandall was on the Stripe show. He's a, he's a regular guest. Um, And I read some of those that were, that happened on, on, on the podcast. Can you, I know this is a little bit of a sensitive topic for you, um, but can you speak to what is happening here in this case, which is a defamation case, right. Between them.
1: Sure. I am with some amount of caution, because I represented Patrick for quite a while. Um, and actually was involved in sending a cease and desist letter to Chamblee, which is significantly different than a defamation lawsuit. Um, one area which is triggered by this lawsuit is what I was talking about before, First Amendment rights, was Chamblee simply articulating his own view, his own opinion, based on his own interpretation of history and past events. And there is obviously a lot of legal protections for journalists and everyone else to express his his and her opinions. And if this was perceived as an opinion, um, with with some rationale and justification, especially addressed to a public person, It'll be a very, very difficult lawsuit to bring. From Patrick's view, um, Chamblee and other media people had had a um, had put a target on Patrick's back for years mm-hmm. And there are certain instances for sure that I think you could look at how. Patrick was handled in the media as compared to someone else, and his treatment was quite harsh. Um, and I think it's clear from the lawsuit um, that Patrick and his family had decided enough was enough. I don't think they particularly served themselves well by the way the lawsuit was drafted. It wasn't drafted in a particularly, profe- this is my opinion, mm-hmm. professional way. Um, there was an awful lot of hyperbole and an awful lot of um, a verbose language which Patrick and his family will have to defend against. And sort of created additional problems for themselves. Mm. And the related issue is um, that a defamation lawsuit really opens up a plaintiff to almost don't mean to be crass, but almost a proctological examination of everything Mm -hmm. in his past. And, you know, I I, I happen to think that for a long time, Patrick has been um, unfairly maligned about certain things, but everyone has um, has things that, you know, you don't really necessarily when they have to talk about publicly a defamation lawsuit it's hard to avoid that mm. so
0: you were part of originally the the cease and desist which is is like this enforceable order um from a court or a government agency directing someone to stop engaging in that activity right that no, was
1: the, cease and desist, no the cease and desist letter. Had nothing to do with the court, and it had nothing to do with any kind of regulatory authority. Okay. It was simply us as private parties. Okay. Writing to assembly and saying, "Listen, we think you've gone too far." I got you. Thread carefully because we're watching. Okay.
0: And then from there, that's when he's then since went on with another legal team, and and, and now here we are with the defamation case, yeah. which is a whole another elevation of of things, like you said, and, and opening himself up, as I sound like, as I'm hearing you say, to cross-examination of Patrick Reed for years beforehand, right, and things that might be uncomfortable for him to talk about in the public setting.
1: Absolutely. And let me say, you know, I, I've brought a limited number of defamation cases. For every defamation case i brought, I probably counseled. 50 times that many people not to bring defamation cases. Mm. Both because of first amendment concerns and because of the heartache that a plaintiff in the defamation case Mm. can bring, you know, bring on for him or herself. So for someone like myself
0: and I'll finish with this or, you know, or Brandel, who is obviously uh, the lead color guy for uh, golf channel but even myself you know my this podcast was is part of this right and this platform is being listened to and one of the things that we bring on guests myself we have an opinion on you know one way or the other but where is that line for a media member to call it as it is right like in patrick's case a lot of it is whether or not what we're looking at was deemed as he's cheating right or you know, so like that's an opinion of that of that color guy or of that guess that I might have or myself that I'm looking at this video or situation and it's like, man, I kind of look at that as he's he it looks to me like he's cheating there. Now the next person may look at it and say, No, nah, I don't think he is. You know, I mean right. it's okay for an analyst to say that, but at what point does it go too far? Well, let me
1: let me say look, I, I think it would be a real Tragedy may be a little too strong, but a real shame for the media not to feel comfortable expressing real genuine opinion. Right. I mean there's there are very few principles in our country that are more important than that. On the other hand, if you know Patrick is is um, accused of cheating by an analyst for dropping a ball in a certain way. Mm-hmm and another golfer in almost exactly the same setting is excused by that same reporter or that same analyst, then it becomes a closer call about whether the person is really expressing honest opinion or instead is acting recklessly or wantonly to harm somebody. Got it. So it's it's a tough line, but... You know, it's it's
0: an important line. Yep, understood. Um, wow, great stuff. I'll tell you what. So this thing's gonna play out. Maybe I don't know. Maybe in another year, as things shake out, would you come back and give us an update on your thoughts on where we're at again? This might go on forever. Who knows? Um, but uh, it's wild times. I'll tell you. It's you know, it's interesting, Peter. in, in the golf world, in my industry, the golf's really doing well. People are playing. They're enjoying the game. And then you have this professional aspect happening in all of these, you know, this live series as a competitor and these, lo- so like the podcast, the podcast business is is kind of good right now,
1: you know, cause there's <laughs> a lot to talk about. Good- <laughs> there's a lot to talk about. And I tell you, I'll be hurt if you wait a whole year to invite me back. Okay. no, it'll, that's, hurt, okay. it'll hurt my feelings.
0: Okay. Well, well, so let's, let's as, as, as the events transpire, and we have questions, as you're coming back, whether it's a month or six months,
2: whatever the case is. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Josh.